Okay, so this part might be considered part four of show number 289, which was called Free From The System. If you haven't seen show number 289, I recommend that you watch it first before you watch this. Just a little warning before we get into it. If you're sensitive about animals or eating animals, some of this show might not be for you. Now, after I put the show out, I was amazed at the feedback I received. This show sparked more useful information from viewers than anything I have so far produced. I'd like to thank everyone who took the time to email me with their ideas. As I said, my efforts are just me muddling through it in my own way, and there's a vast amount more I could do. So in this section, I will be reading out much of the advice that I received. One viewer alerted me to this book and website called Retro Suburbia. It's written by an Australian and provides a lot of detail on how to become self-sufficient with your own suburban property, with the principles of permaculture and starting literally at your back doorstep. Implementing retrofitting of your own property rather than starting from scratch, he covers many issues and challenges, and there is an online version of the book which is free to read. So, retrosuburbia.com, have a look at that. Um, this book is very much in line with what I'm attempting to do, i.e. utilise an existing suburban property rather than building your own property from scratch in the middle of nowhere. Now, if you're interested in the latter, uh, here's a couple of examples of people who have achieved off-grid life starting from nothing. The first is Sean James from Canada, and you'll find his video on YouTube entitled Two Years Alone in the Wilderness, Escape the City to Build Off-Grid Log Cabin, which has only had 36 million views. The second is Chris Harbour, who built a Hobbit Home roundhouse on land he bought uh, in South Wales. You'll find his videos on YouTube. One interesting thing he did was extract power using running water from a river. Um, now, a piece of advice, if you watch their videos, is don't let them dishearten you with the mindset of, I couldn't do anything like that. Um, if you're interested, right, start with one small project, see how you go and build from there. You can't build Rome in a day or even a log cabin for that matter, all right? Now, in show 289, I made use of this chart where I set out our needs and how our needs connect us with a system. Some viewers wrote to me saying that I had missed certain things out. Uh, transport was one. Uh, I do have a push bike, and obviously a battery-powered bike is always an option, especially with the free electric from the solar panels. Another consideration is an electric car. I think I'd need to do an entire show on transport if I was going to cover it properly. At the present time, the performance of 100% electric cars is pretty abysmal considering the price of them. Plus, there's a whole host of considerations, such as the possible future centralised monitoring of all electric vehicles. Um, I'd like to see a hydrogen-powered car with a domestic refuelling system that can generate hydrogen from water using electricity and pump the hydrogen into the vehicle's fuel tank. Such a system could be powered from domestic solar panels. Now, the technology does exist. It was developed safely by Bob Lazar in the 1990s and has not been made commercially available. But that's another story. 
Medicine and healthcare was another area that I missed. This viewer said, if you require prescription medicine or you need an operation, then the system still has you by the short and curlies. That is the one thing that scares me most as I have two young kids. Well, having kids is one way of making sure you get help in your old age, is it not? My son's only seven and he's now in charge of putting the sewn up logs into the log bin. Also, if you're prescribed regular pharmaceutical drugs, my advice would be to seek expert advice from outside of the NHS, from somewhere that doesn't have a vested interest in selling drugs, and find out whether your intake of medicine is A, necessary, or B, can be replaced with a non-pharmaceutical. This viewer states, I think useful items to have in are bicarbonate of soda, which has so many uses both in the home and medicinally, organic backstrap molasses, which contain good levels of chromium, calcium, copper and iron, and raw organic apple cider vinegar, which has good therapeutic effects on the body. These items are relatively cheap and keep a long time, as well as maintaining and improving health. Something else not on the list was waste disposal. Well, all the waste cardboard and paper I create uh, is used for lighting the log burner. Food waste can be recycled, which I'll come on to later. Uh, however, some waste it would be difficult to dispose of without the council collecting it, so I accept that. Another viewer asked, if you were completely free from the system and no longer using money, how would you pay your council tax? Again, I will come on to that. This viewer was concerned about security and said, I would be working on security, especially the lower two floors. Ideally, it should be impossible to break inside without heavy tools and a chunk of time for doing so. Good surveillance around your perimeter is also a must. Yes, well, I do have a CCTV system fitted, although extra measures might be wise. I'm going to go down the list of needs again and share with you some of the fascinating advice that I've received. Water first. With regards collecting water from the roof, I use chlorine dioxide added to my water containers to protect the water from pathogens and metals. I use the drops, not the tablets, which can be purchased from camping shops and online. Another viewer states, I'm amazed you don't have a tabletop water distiller or a state-of-the-art bigger fitted water distiller as you have all this free surplus electric. A number of viewers uh, made this same point, and this would guarantee water collected from the roof is pure. Is it a better solution than boiling and filtering? Uh, a typical desktop distiller uses 750 watts of power and produces one litre of water per hour. So I could switch it on when I've got excess electric. This viewer states, distilled water is the best, cleanest, healthiest water. It will clear out all the gunk from your system and possibly extend your life by X number of years. About £80 for a desktop 4-litre water distiller on eBay with all stainless steel internals. No aluminium. A no-brainer, dude. There is a lot of negativity about drinking distilled water in that they say it will make bones brittle as it depletes minerals from the body. I personally don't think this is the case. More chance of fluoride making bones brittle after a lifetime of use. Another viewer writes, In my journey to regain health, I'm the same age as you, getting a distiller three years ago was most likely the best investment of my life. It takes about an hour per litre and I run it for five hours nightly. Wait till you see the gunge that is left behind after a few uses. 
So I've got one of those on my shopping list now. Uh, now, I did not know that in other countries, large rainwater tanks on properties are far more common than in the UK. In Australia, most properties here have water tanks, at least 3,000 litres, and we use this for drinking via a ceramic purifier, which is slow but easily provides 8 litres per day. The filter lasts 12 months and needs to be lightly cleaned each week for residual dirt in the water. We get hot temperatures in the summer but have never had any issues with the water. I'm sure the UK would be easier. What I'd like to inform you is that my son, his wife and I have been drinking rainwater without boiling it for over three years. Our ages are 26, 27 and 58 years old. I moved from London to New Zealand in 2000. We live rural using rainwater stored in huge tanks. For years my wife and I just drank water that fell from the sky untreated. We were never ill. However, as we are getting older, we decided a few years back to install a twin water filter system and a UV light that kills E. coli, etc. Point being that with a coarse and fine filter plus UV, you don't need to boil the water. You could also daisy chain a few of the smaller tanks you use to increase storage. We have no mains water, so use two 30,000 litre tanks. P.S. I run the website thebuzz.nz. In Brazil, it is the norm for each house to get its water from rainwater on the roof, even in a city like Sao Paulo. Someone gave me further advice on my water butt system. Your water butt has a diverter valve. Consider using a valve which allows the first 10 to 20 litres to pass through to the main drain. The first litres have the most dirt and particles washed from your roof. I am not sure of the exact name. I mentioned in the last video that I hadn't considered uh, bathing or showering very well so if I was to lose the water supply uh, I wouldn't be able to get bathed. Uh, so I've thought about that and one thing I've considered is to create a rainwater shower. Uh, now the rainwater is collected in the water but which is on the level above this level so it's, it's, it's up there on the side patio. Now with a water butt what you can do is you can feed additional tanks off your water butt so you can daisy chain them and my idea was uh, was to daisy chain a, a smaller tank maybe about 40 or 50 litres enough water uh, for a shower and then feed that water into the house possibly now um, it would need to be a shower on the ground level um, but uh, I haven't really got any space in the house so what I've been thinking about uh, building is an outdoor rainwater shower. Uh, now the problem with that is that if the water uh, is left standing and you shower in it, 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 it has bugs in it, you can get Legionnaire's disease and all this kind of thing. Uh, now if you were to put an element, a heating element, in the small tank that you're using to feed the shower uh, and heat that up to 60 degrees, it would kill everything in there. So the idea is uh, heat it to 60 degrees and then just let the temperature come down to about 40 degrees or just under 40 degrees when it's, it's suitable uh, to have a shower then. So my idea is to run a small tank off the water butt on this level uh, and then I've actually drilled a hole so that I can put a 15 millimeter copper pipe coming from the second tank. I'll just show you. So There's a hole goes all the way through the wall uh, as I say, which I could feed uh, from another tank fed off the water butt. Uh, so there would be a, a copper pipe would come here and then there would be a, a tap and a shower head. All right, so that would be lower down 
uh, well, head height level, so it would be lower than the tank, so the gra it would be gravity fed. Uh, now I thought about it and I, would, I think I would need uh, three thermostats in there, one to control the actual heating element so that when you switch it on it goes up to 60 degrees and then keeps it at 60 degrees. Uh, and then two other thermostats, uh, one set just below 60 degrees and one set at 40 degrees. So you, you would have a switch in the house, so you would switch it on, uh, the first light would go on which would mean that the water is above 40 degrees and then there would be another light that would go on which would mean it's above 60 degrees. And once that, it's at that level you just switch it off. So I would, the 60 degree uh, light would be like a red light and then you'd have maybe an amber light for the 40 degree. So if the red light's on it means the temperature's above 60 degree. You let, it, let the water cool down and then the, the, the amber light would go off meaning the temperature's below 40 degrees which means it's safe to use. So that's my idea, so it would just be a, you'd have a little panel in the house with a switch and two LEDs, uh, a red and a, a yellow one, you switch it on, you wait for the red one to go on, then you switch it off and then you wait for them both to go off and then you've got 40 litres of water at the correct temperature. Uh, I would also need to consider where the water is going to be drained off, so I would maybe need to just build a little channel going into the drain outside. Obviously. In the winter it's going to be pretty chilly coming outside but it is nice and sheltered here and I could maybe put some blinds up and make like a little shower unit. So that would be a completely off-grid shower because it would be using rainwater uh, from the water butts and it would be using electric from the solar panels. Now finally on the subject of water collection, the prize for ingenuity goes to George Tuck who made a water tank out of his garden rubbish wheelie bin. I put together a loose brick base. It took 32 bricks to build the perimeter, three bricks high and two internal posts, two bricks per level. Three bricks high to support the inner base of the wheelie bin. I didn't use mortar so the thing can be dismantled leaving no permanent signs. I got the water capture fitting at B&Q for £10. The water overflow and a 1.5 metre washing machine hose cost another tenner. Then there was an overflow boss to buy and some poly washers to seal the flange joints. I bought a 15mm bib tap, hose pipe style tap, for £7, but remembered I had an old one somewhere, which I managed to find, so the total job price would have been £34. The overflow centre hole I drilled at 15mm below the inlet hole centre. The overflow hose can be redirected to another tub if wanted. OK, the garden rubbish recycle bin now has three holes in it, but I only have block paving and gravel, so it hasn't been used in over six years. It would still function for garden waste, even with the holes. Let's come on to food, and start with a few recommended links. Firstly, the Ice Age Farmer on YouTube, who promotes distributed food systems as opposed to centrally controlled ones, from aquaponics to rabbits, goats, chickens, ducks and quail, mushrooms, soil husbandry and urban crops, etc. Here's another Grow Your Own Food website, thegrownetwork.com and thebugout.co.uk, which is more about prepping and survival. This viewer states, You can expand your veg growing plot by moving stuff indoors. Sprouting is a great way of growing food cheaply. Mung beans in glass jars are a great way to start, and there is a good book called Sprouts by Steve Meyerowitz if you require more info. This video explains how to grow sprouts indoors in mason jars, no soil required. 
Another indoor technique for growing food that viewers were keen to mention is microgreens. You could try growing microgreens and baby leaf plants. I've spent £2,000 on seeds and about £300 on the setup and I can now provide daily vegetables for maybe 10 years or longer. They are very easy to grow and highly nutritious. The benefits of eating microgreens are that they are far higher in nutrients and beneficial properties than mature plants. They are also very quick and easy to grow and can provide food every day of the year. The materials you require are trays, compost, coir, bricks, seeds, lights, shelves, fans and a timer, a feed, volcanic rock dust and a spray bottle. And here's the instructions on what to do. Moving outside now, this viewer states, I have a tip with regards to your limited space and growing food. I noted in your last episode you have a large wall behind the house. Have a look at vertical gardening. You could grow a lot of food on that wall, especially with that morning sun. This is very interesting. The wall faces south-southwest, therefore gets a lot of sun, so I will look into that. This brings me on to the term permaculture. The website permaculture.co.uk says that permaculture is an innovative framework for creating sustainable ways of living. It is a practical method of developing ecologically harmonious, efficient and productive systems that can be used by anyone, anywhere. This is Wade Muggleton's back garden, which has been designed using permaculture principles. He collects rainwater, uses vertical space for growing food to get the most out of his garden and incorporates a wide range of plants and varieties. I really need to put a lot more thought into the usage of space that I have. Uh, here's a few photos showing my vegetable patches earlier this year and here's a quick update. Right, it's the 24th of September today, uh, so we're just past the autumn equinox, so it's harvesting time and I've neglected my little vegetable patches uh, over the last few months, so they're completely overgrown, uh, but hopefully I can still get something out of them. I've got carrots, onions, uh, beetroot, but swedes uh, and tomatoes, uh, so I'm going to try and make some soup today. These are actually lettuces, uh, which have become completely overgrown. They do this after a while. Uh, you could eat them, but they're sour when they get like this, so these are going to come out. Some of the tomatoes are ripening up now. I can maybe use one or two of them today. Yep. Really sweet. I'm not going to harvest everything, I think some of it could do with a few more weeks um, but we've got enough here to make a nice broth so we've got a swede, a couple of onions, chuck a few tomatoes in, tatties and uh, some carrots Right so I'm going to cook it on the log burner stove I've had this on for a little while now so this is quite hot it's our vegetable mix Wash the tomatoes in there. Now I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to put some uh, lentils in. A bit of chilli sauce, garlic powder, 
there, obviously salt, a couple of oxo cubes, and maybe just a little bit of gravy powder. Got a bit left in there. Right, I've used water from the water pot for this. Give it that extra, extra flavour. Half an hour and that's going to taste lovely. I must stress that I'm nowhere near self-sufficient on food. What I've done is just a token effort and uh, it's the area that I've progressed the least with. Uh, one viewer recommended potato tyre stacks, uh, a couple of one square metre raised beds for things like garlic, ginger and salads, lots of troughs and some fruit bushes and trees, strawberries etc. Now I think if you want to get the maximum food output from the smallest possible outdoor space then you might want to look at an aquaponics system. The space I have out the back of my house would be ideally suited to such a solution. But there is a cost of the materials and the effort required to build and then maintain it. You can find lots of videos online explaining aquaponics, which is a combination of aquaculture, i.e. growing fish, and hydroponics, which is um, growing plants without soil. So the wastewater from the fish is used to fertilise the plants. This viewer states... Aquaponics lets you get rid of kitchen scraps either directly to vegetarian fish like carp or through a wormery to fish like perch. And in return you get to harvest both the freshest fish possible and the vegetables they have fertilised with their waste water. If you want to grow your own worms from food waste, this website explains how to make your own wormery. This video explains how to make maggots which can then be used to feed fish or chickens. Um, many viewers recommended keeping chickens to be used for eggs and possibly meat. Now historically people have fed chickens with kitchen scraps which is a way of utilising waste food. Now I recommend you research this thoroughly including the rules about what you can feed chickens in the UK. Uh, the DEFRA rules seem a bit draconian to me. Um, they state that chickens cannot be fed scraps and waste even if you only keep a couple of chickens and have no intention of ever eating or selling them. The only exception to this rule applies to households that are 100% vegan uh, and that never have any meat or dairy products within the home, even if they are kept well away from anything fed to the chickens. Personally, I think that rule is over the top and in my opinion, it should be okay to feed chickens uh, vegetable scraps. One viewer suggested breeding rabbits and mentioned Marjorie Wildcraft of the Grow Network. Marjorie explains how to raise meat rabbits and produce half of the protein requirements for a family of four in less than 10 minutes a day. Sorry, animal lovers. Another viewer suggests, personally, I'm keen on keeping quails, which are easier to breed than chickens. Keeping rabbits, chickens and pigs, like the Hungarian Mangalitsa woolen pigs, would be a great meat source. The Mangalitsa is semi-wild, it never needs to live indoors and can survive temperatures of minus 20 degrees C. Let's mention land now. If you're going to keep animals or grow food, you're going to need some land. Uh, this viewer said... Have you thought about sending a letter to all local farmers asking if they have some arable land for sale? Now I actually did this 
um, about a year ago, and I got I did get two replies from farmers, although I didn't manage to secure any land. Uh, so if you're looking for land, that is a good idea. Um, you may remember Mike Keegan, who I interviewed in show number 257. He writes, just to let you know about some of our resistance group plans to buy a large piece of land here in Clare Island. The land is cheap because it is Hen Harrier EU designated, meaning you can own it but do nothing with it. The birds might want a nest there. Up to one third of Ireland's land will be uprated to special protection areas, meaning soon you will not even be able to walk on it. You know where this is heading. This project of ours to buy the land will be a direct challenge to the system. Watch this space. Now what about looking further afield for food than your own land or property? This viewer states, you'd be surprised how many weeds are nutritious. I'm in the process of making horsetail tinctures, hair rinse and tea. Knotweed is another booster. You can eat knotweed apparently. It is possible to be free of the food chain by living on wild edibles. I know 75 species and I am still a novice. Let's come on to hunting and fishing now. I mentioned that it is generally illegal in Britain to catch fish from rivers, remove them and then eat them. This viewer states, if you're prepared to poach, you can catch salmon, trout, grayling, perch and pike. But look out for the bones in perch and especially pike. I'm not advocating that, by the way. You can apply for a trapping licence for signal crayfish in the UK. Some hoops need jumping through, but crayfish are plentiful in Wales. And by speaking to fishing lake and landowners, most will be happy for you to trap the invasive crayfish. They are like small lobsters and just as tasty. Now I mentioned crayfish earlier and apparently the, the crayfish is the only thing you can catch and eat in British rivers. Uh, but you have to have a license so make sure you get a license which I believe uh, are free. Uh, now um, it, in order to catch crayfish you need one of these a crayfish net and so what you do is, there's a little zip here with a little pocket in there, you open that up and you put the bait in there, maybe a bit of dead fish or something like that and then you put this in on the riverbed, uh, obviously attach a bit of rope or a bit of string uh, to one end and secure it on the riverbank, uh, maybe put a, attach a brick to this so it goes down to the bottom of the river and the crayfish swim in here to get the bait and then they get trapped in this net and then you can pull it out maybe, I don't know, a few days later or a week later or however long you have it there. Uh, now, I happen to know someone, uh, a Rich Planet viewer, who has caught some crayfish uh, and I've got them in the freezer. Because when you catch them, you can just put them straight in the freezer. You don't have to cook them straight away. So let's have a look at them. Okay, here they are. I'll just take one out. So uh, that's what they look like. And it's the meat is actually in the tail, okay? So it tastes a bit like a prawn. Uh, and I've got a, a coke bottle full of them in here. Um, another one. You boil a pan of water, uh, make sure you clean them first. Uh, boil a pan of water, uh, put some salt in, in for seven minutes. You take them out and they're ready to eat.
Now, so I'm going to open one of these. You pull the tail off first, by there. Just left with the tail. And then the end piece of the tail, this bit, you just give it a twist. Right? And then if you pull gently, the all of the bits that you don't eat will should just come out. Uh, hasn't worked. You pull that out anyway, and then you take the shell off. Yeah, that's the bit that was meant to come out there. That grey bit. You take it out there. So that's what you're left with. So you can then eat that. Gently. And that's like, that's the bit you don't eat. That's the digestive tract, right? So you snap the tail off now. And then what's inside, what's inside there you can eat. Right? So that's what we're left with, right? And I just taste like prawns. I will just mention that although that plate of crayfish uh, might have looked quite filling, it wasn't. You need dozens of crayfish just for one meal. Uh, another option is to take fish from the sea, which apparently is perfectly legal. I live in Skegness and I bought an unsinkable sit-on kayak from Galaxy Kayaks for £400. I go fishing in the sea on average once a week. You don't have to go far out and I usually catch. You don't need a license and you can take home and eat everything you catch, provided it is in size. My rods cost me virtually nothing as I bought them at a car boot sale for peanuts. Second-hand sea fishing equipment sells for nothing and can be found on Facebook and most car boots and second-hand kayaks on eBay. You only need to know how to tie two knots. I knew nothing about this but learned everything about fishing, getting your own bait and filleting fish by watching the multitude of tutorials on YouTube. It's good exercise and my freezer has six months supply of fish in it. I have a 2005 Volkswagen Beetle and the kayak fits easily on the roof so your truck will easily manage. If you don't fancy that you can always fish the beach as I did but I've caught more since getting the kayak. I'm 64 years old and started doing this two years ago. Hiya Rich, don't know if this advice is any good to you, but I've been utilising fish caught from the sea as a free and relatively easy means of extra sustenance, and I've been doing so for over 20 years. Most breeds of fish caught around the British Isles are edible and very tasty. Whitby Pier is a very easy place to stock your freezer with mackerel. Also Mackerel Rock in Anglesey. You don't need a licence to fish into the sea. The Lake District has many free fishing areas, my favourite being hose water for perch and trout, both taste great. Animal lovers might want to cover your ears up for the next bit. Um, I live in a pretty rural part of Wales like yourself and I bought myself an air rifle and then approached farmers in my area and asked about shooting rabbits and pigeons and other pests on their land. Every one of them was happy and eager for me to do so. I shoot enough game to keep my meat stocked up all year round. My only expenditure is pellets for my gun. So shooting and eating rabbits is okay, uh, but get the permission of the landowner first. 
Uh, with wood pigeons, you need a license, uh, and there are certain conditions that are required before they'll give you a license, and also get the permission of the landowner first before you fire your air rifle. Now, if you think eating wood pigeons is odd, uh, well, up until fairly recently, you could buy wood pigeon breast from Marks and Spencers. You can find videos online on how, on how to um, process them to get the breast out. Um, it has the fine grain of a prime steak, is tasty and tender. This viewer says you could add meat to the off-grid menu with squirrels and pigeons as well. Again, don't be doing this in your local park. Go to private land, ask the landowner's permission and make sure you have the licences required. How about roadkill, which involves picking up good carcasses of pheasants, rabbits, etc. Make sure that they have recently been killed and if not for your own consumption, then for a pet. You can buy an air rifle plus telescopic sight plus pellets and this will help you to shoot game if food becomes scarce. We come on to food storage now and this viewer sent a fascinating idea for an off-grid non-electric fridge. This is my off-the-grid non-electric fridge system. Uh, one of the reasons I can get away with having such a small solar power setup is that I don't have any big baseloads running off the house electricity and one of the biggest uh, baseloads you can have on a normal house uh, tends to be the fridge. Uh, but I've found that this off-grid alternative, this simple system, has worked just as well really as a normal fridge. Uh, what it is, it's a big terracotta pot and inside the terracotta pot there is a smaller terracotta pot and in the gap in between is filled with wet sand. The way it works is as the water in the sand evaporates, it draws out some of the latent heat within the pot and therefore cooling it. So it acts just like a fridge system. And we can keep all our leftovers in here, we can keep milk in here, we can keep eggs in here, and it works really well. The only thing we have to do is remember in the summertime when it's warm is to keep watering the pot and keep it topped up with water. Consider storing pulses in the food bank, lentils etc in glass airtight jars. They will keep for years and are useful for making soup or baked savouries. Tesco sell this. One 400 gram tin makes three litres of full cream milk. It's in the international foods aisle, so not obvious. We come to energy now, and with regards to keeping yourself warm, this viewer states, don't underestimate the warming ability of a fat Labrador. For finding wood, this viewer says, try guys who do house clearances for free wood. Another viewer says, I get all my wood from the River Torridge, which is tidal. If you have a river nearby, it is worth considering. I put it on the bank to dry. It's not always wet and go back the next day to collect it. I've also got uh, a lot of wood here that I'm going to sort out today as well. So the whole place just needs tidying up a bit. As I mentioned last time, I source all the wood myself. Um, someone's given me an old bed here, uh, and there's a whole load of pallet wood here. A guy up the road, uh, he made an allotment out, out the back of his house, and he put a fence around it, and he made, he made the fence out of pallet wood. So he got a whole load of pallets, and he denailed them all. He built a massive fence around this allotment, and then the council told him he had to take it down. So he was left with a massive pile of pallet wood, so I just came and put it in my truck and it's been piled up here all summer so I'm going to cut some more of it up. For cutting wood, use a reciprocating saw, mains or battery to cut wood. There are YouTube videos of this. Yes, I've got one of these on my shopping list. It does look safer than a chainsaw and much easier than a hand saw. 
this viewer has another idea. If you are still using a saw, please consider using a pruning saw to cut wood. It's what I use now, and if you don't know of its wonders, you are in for a treat. You'll get through your wood piles in less than half the time and with less than half the energy. The teeth are bigger, so the cut is a bit rougher, but that doesn't matter. I attach an image of the samurai I use. It cost around £27. Electricity now, and this viewer asks, wouldn't a wind turbine have been more cost-effective than solar panels? OK, well, let's compare a wind turbine to the solar panel system that I put in. Uh, which has a maximum power output of 6.7 kilowatts. So let's look for a wind turbine that has the same maximum rated power output. This is a 6 kilowatt wind turbine and is selling here for £7,700, which is about the same price I paid for my 21 solar panels and inverter. But the problem with it is it really would need to go in a high place. I would need to put this on top of my house to get any power output from it. I can't imagine I'd get planning permission to put something like this on the apex of my roof. If you live high up with constant wind and you have some space, then maybe wind power is for you. Right, while that's cooking, I'm just gonna put some washing on and I'm gonna show you the Tesla system uh, because you get an app on your phone with this solar panel system. And according to this, the solar panels are currently generating 1.9 kilowatts, all right? But my home is only drawing 0.3 kilowatts because I don't have much plugged in at the moment, but I'm gonna plug the washer on in a minute. At the moment, the battery is 80% charged. So there's a kilowatt of power going into the battery from the solar panels charging it up and only 0.3 of a kilowatt uh, going into the house. And that's the screen there. So I've put the washer on. Right, it's heating the water and it's spinning round now. So the, it's gone up to uh, 2.3 kilowatts, the house. So the house is now drawing two and a half kilowatts right, due to the fact that the washer started heating the water up. So that's not enough for the solar panels. So we've got 1.3 kilowatts from the solar panel, so it's now taking, it's taking 1.2 kilowatts straight from the battery. Right, so there's still nothing coming from the grid. Right, so we've got a kilowatt coming from the battery, we've got 1.4 kilowatts coming from the solar panels, and there's no grid usage at all. So I could put the kettle on, and the battery would still boil the kettle. Uh, without drawing anything from the grid. At the moment, in September, I'm still not drawing any power at all from the grid. And that'll continue through most of October, and maybe in November I'll start drawing a little bit from the grid. I chose to build my own batteries after watching the lithium battery fire videos and comparing the total cost of ownership. I chose LTO battery chemistry. 30,000 cycles, which is 80 years, okay to over and under charge, not temperature sensitive and not flammable. Attached as a picture. Ordered from osnpower.com. My solar inverter charges this during the day and completely discharges during the night. Now here's an email that I received from somebody who was living completely off the grid. Hi Richard, I was 34 when we acquired seven acres of grazing land in Ireland. We are originally from Derbyshire. We placed a 40-foot static caravan on it, which we knocked through to make a lounge and two bedrooms, built a wooden extension onto it, which became a large kitchen and bathroom, put four inches of insulation in the walls, ceiling and floors, and clad around the whole structure with shiplap. The windows came out of a skip. 
I was working as a fence erector at the time to pay for materials and also had to sell my motorbike so that we could buy a Stanley 8 solid fuel burner for central heating and cooking on. This item is literally the heart of the house. It's worth its weight in gold and we couldn't survive the winters without it. We use very little money and make natural chemical free soap and shampoo to sell or swap. I have just finished a six week course on acupuncture for a back injury and paid for my treatment with soap, shampoo, halloumi cheese and wine all produced here. We even make apple cider vinegar from the orchard apples. Now we grow our own food, have goats and chickens for milk and eggs. I dug a natural spring-fed well by hand which is gravity-fed to the house, made a septic tank from barrels and installed solar panels and a wind turbine, so we are totally off-grid. We live a normal civilised way, not like the people you saw when looking for Richie Edwards. There are plenty of people over here who live that way. We have a music system, no TV, washing machine, fridge, fully functioning bathroom and toilet. Yep, all the mod cons here. Here's a small breakdown of our starting journey. 2006 prices and conversion. The land, £1,500. Caravan, £1,200. Wood, £2,000. Water, £160. Five 1,000 litre water barrels and pipe. A turbine, solar panels and batteries, €2,000. Two 50-foot uh, poly tunnels, €1,000 each. The Stanley 8-range solid fuel burner was swapped for my Suzuki Bandit motorbike. This is just an insight into the initial layout. Obviously, we have spent more over the years. So self-sufficiently really does become a full-time job and society never looks quite the same again. We are now at the stage of smallholding and every single part of it we had to learn how to do it and build it, but at least it is a choice that we make for ourselves. With all that said, we wish you good luck on your path and if you need any advice on self-sufficiency, please don't hesitate to contact us. All the best and please remember, your only limitation is your imagination. Your only limitation is your imagination. Well said. The finished house built off the ground with a sunroom added and yes, there really is a caravan still in there. This is a 1.5 kilowatt turbine and there are two more solar panels. Water from the spring fed well, gravity fed into the house so no pump needed. Okay, so let's come on to the subject of not paying your bills. Uh, here are a few emails on the subject. Now, I'm not advising that you follow the advice in these emails. I am reading them out for reference. We are into another area here, i.e. that of law, the legal system, statutes, common law, legislation, trusts, the legal fiction, etc., etc. This is not my area of expertise but I may cover it in another show. Anyway, here are the emails. I just wanted to tell you that you don't need to pay for water. I paid it for a few years but stopped and haven't paid it for 30 years in the same property. The water system was built with public money. You didn't ask for it to be installed, so stop paying the bill and every letter you receive from them simply return to sender. I've not paid for water for three years now. It's against human rights to cut you off, but just do what I've done and cement the stop tap hole. I don't advocate doing that. Council tax, I did the same thing, stopped paying it, then returned to sender. Not paid that for over two years now. Now, some people who have gone down this route of not paying council tax or mortgage or other bills have been successful. 
a lot of people have been unsuccessful and ended up much worse off. If you're going to free yourself from the system in this way, to be successful, you really need a lot of knowledge about the system and how to fight it in this way. Um, you need expert advice if you're going to do this, uh, or you need to become an expert yourself. Now, when I say expert advice, I don't mean getting advice off a professional like a solicitor or a barrister or a financial expert, right? All of the experts in this field are usually self-taught. You cannot do university courses in how to get out of paying your council tax. Um, but there are ways of doing it. Um, now, I do know people who are involved in this, and I might cover it at some point in a future show. All I will say is don't launch yourself into it unless you know exactly what you are doing. So just to finish, um, this viewer suggested an alternative currency. Um, he says, can you see what I mean by the hash coin? Please find a picture of some hash coins I made earlier. So don't forget to download and redistribute show number 300, Johnny's Cash and the Smart Money Nightmare. And remember, believe none of what you hear and only half of what you see. I'm Richard D. Hall. Good night.